Hello, I'm Christopher Powell, Executive Director of Pittsburgh Festival Opera. And I'm Marianne Cornetti, International Songbird and Artistic Director of the Pittsburgh Festival Opera. Welcome to Unstaged, the Pittsburgh Festival Opera's new podcast. We're excited to share our insights and stories and our hopes for the future of opera from our perspective behind the scenes and backstage. So won't you join us on this adventure as we dive into the wonderful world of opera and all of the facets this gem has to offer all of us. Chris, what a fascinating show we have for our listeners today. I'm really, really excited. This is really not my territory, but it is fascinating, our guests who we have today and what they're going to talk about. Absolutely. This is a first for us, and uh, and we're really looking forward to this conversation because it is so far afield from what we usually do. Absolutely. But before we get started with our guests, I would like to introduce our Word of the Month for July. Innovative. Can you take a guess as to why I've chosen innovative? I thought you were going to ask me to spell it. Go ahead. <laughs> no, that's all right. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> now, because of what we're doing, we're creating a movie. Innovative, introducing or using new ideas or methods. And that's exactly what we are doing for Pittsburgh Festival Opera. Uh, and that's exactly why we're here today, because we are introducing something totally new for our company. You know, we have these fantastic things that we have done over the past year with Pittsburgh Festival Opera. We have had something called a channel series a surfing series called Oh Wow. We've had the Wicked Wagner Weekend. We've had a Valentine's Day concert. Our very first film of Cendrillon, which we just uh, did for hundreds of school kids. But today we have something even more in-depth. And that is a film of Mark Adamo's Liza Strada. We have these really fascinating and interesting uh, guests today, and I would like to just introduce them. Our very dear friend and uh, freelance producer, director, and writer for more than 30 years. She is, as I said, a very dear friend of Pittsburgh Festival Opera, Lynn Squilla. Lynn has crafted long and short-form programs for production entities as PBS, NOVA, Discovery, National Geographic, A&E, Sci-Fi, Channel 4 London, to name a few. She has created original content for universities, corporations, nonprofits, and for the stage, working with Shakespearean, Broadway, and movie actors such as Mark Rylance. She's received a National Emmy, several regional Emmys, Tellies, and several, several international film awards, including 
the Vienna International and New York Film and TV International World Bronze. Lynn, welcome. Well, thank you. So now I can go home? You, <laughs> you filled the whole slot. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's truly wonderful to uh, read that long list of what you have done. You have really done a lot in those 30 years. Been around, yeah. Yes, you have. And we're thrilled to have you as a co-producer on this movie uh, of Liza Strada. Uh, we also have somebody who I, I've just gotten to know just uh, very recently, Jim Ledoux, a seasoned director of photography with more than 30 years behind the camera experience. You've worked with film, broadcast, commercial, and nonprofit clients, giving your expertise on projects ranging from lighting feature films to shooting reality shows and sports features and directing live multi-camera events. Your work includes director of photography for a series of bumps for Vice, the Vice Network, Animal Planet series, Little Giants, and feature film called Remember Amnesia, uh, shot here in Pittsburgh and in India. You were the cam op for the Doc No of Defense, and you shot the pat, uh, package prod production for ESPN's Monday Night Football and worked episodes of the Food Network Restaurants Impossible. Jim, it is so nice to welcome you here, and for you as the co-director of photography for Liza Strada and the first cameraman. Well, Welcome. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. Jim, I have to say, I loved your quote that says, I am a hands-on production monster with a big picture sensibility and a history of exceeding expectations. Budgets. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it is a pleasure to have you here. Thank you so much. I'm yes. glad to be here. That's uh, really exciting. And then we have our Lindsay Lehman. Oh my gosh. Lindsay is artist, our, our artistic administrator for Pittsburgh Festival Opera. You know, that is sort of an understatement for Lindsay. She has done so much in this company. Um, she really is our go-to in so many ways. She has uh, co-produced our very first film, uh, Cendrillon, and she has been with Pittsburgh Festival Opera since 2018. Is that correct, Linz? 2017. Oh, thanks 17. to uh, Ms. Squilla yeah, over there. Yeah, she was originally a box office intern, but she just just kind of exceeded that hugely <laughs> my goodness i didn't realize you came in when roxy came in then yes so she came in in early 2017 and i came in in june my goodness well Lindsay is on this film as co-producer for liza strada Lindsay is also she has an interesting background too because she was trained as an opera singer and so it's great to have her involved so deeply in this film and, of course, with Pittsburgh Festival Opera. Uh, we love Lindsay a lot. And uh, believe me, uh, she is really, uh, she has all of her organizational skills and uh, she really 
She keeps us going, believe me, in more ways than one. That head's going to get pretty big. <laughs> That's all right. She deserves it, Chris. <laughs> then we have our Ian Crammond. He is our digital content manager for Pittsburgh Festival Opera as of 2020. Yes, that's correct. He was the director of photography and film editor uh, for our first film, Cendrillon. And Ian, did you start in the box office also? I did. In 2019. That's right. Yes, that's correct. Um, I have to say, I, I first met Ian when he did the editing, I guess, uh, you would call it. You were the editor for my Cornetti's Candid Corona Conversations. And uh, that's how we then brought Ian in as uh, the digital content manager uh, for Pittsburgh Festival Opera because you graduated from Pitt in film. That's right. Film and writing. That's incredible. So Ian is, uh, he's the co-director of photography, second cameraman, and editor on the Liza Strada. What an incredible uh, list of people Chris, that it, we have in front of it us. It already reads like the film credits right now. I mean, that's fabulous. It is. You got the right is. people and the right jobs, and and it's it's going to be marvelous. Absolutely. I just wanted to give a little bit of background as to what happened during the pandemic. We had. Um, chosen the Liza Strata for our Young Artist Program for 2020. That was our debut. Uh, and that's Mark Adamo's Liza Strata. And of course, the pandemic hit. We decided to uh, position it, reposition it for this year. But when we decided to reposition it, as the pandemic kept going on, we thought we would put it out in a parking lot outside. And as we started to approach the costs of building a stage, uh, putting that production on in a parking lot, Lindsay and I went through some of those numbers, and it was exorbitant, uh, an exorbitant amount of money for what we weren't sure of what we were going to get back as far as revenue because we weren't sure how many people we were going to have as far as an audience. And then our beloved Lindsay comes up and she said, Marianne, you know, we've had pretty good luck with putting together the Cendrillon. We started that process. Why can't we do the Liza Strata as a film? And I said, hmm, yeah, why can't we do that? And so we took it to Chris and Chris went, oh, uh, what are the numbers? Well, it, it, it sounds like a pretty common reaction when, when, you know, when it, there's shock to the system. Of course. Yeah. Of course. And, and that was all fine and well. And we, Chris gave us, said, get the numbers together. We got the numbers together with Lynn. Lynn was in on that. That was a huge uh, meeting of getting all the numbers and the budget. And then I presented the, um, the budget that day, that was a that was a pretty stressful day. It was like for day one of shooting Cendrillon. Oh too. my <laughs> gosh, it really was. And and I just presented it, and I said to the um, finance committee and Chris, I said, if we can't be bold, we might as well go home. 
and we had all of our numbers together because of all of you, Lynn and and um, uh, Lindsay, and we did it. And so now here we are. There there are many aspects of filming from the singer's standpoint of view, but also from the preparation of putting a film together. I remember our director, Derek Brown, and how he had to learn. Ian was setting up with, with Yulin last year for, the again, the Oh Wow, how they had to do the storyboard. Oh, yeah. It's different, What's a storyboard? It's different staging in three dimensions on a stage versus what your scenes are going to be. Um, and then you work with your director of photography to block those scenes and make sure they're going to work. So, yeah, from a stage director's standpoint, it's also a whole huge learning curve. Um, Absolutely. And and um, Ian, when you had worked with uh, Justin Lucero uh, for our Cendrillon, until you had uh, really had, had explained to him how many shots you needed, because we we think as opera singers, and we we want to do twelve thousand shots for one scene, and you can't do that. Isn't that correct? No, and and it's also a matter of time because you know, especially with Cendrillon, we uh, filmed it as a forty minute opera. It was filmed over sixteen hours, which is putting a lot of uh, of pressure there. Uh, that's that's a pretty short time frame to to film that in. And so he would say, oh, I want this shot and this shot, this shot. And I was like, well, remember, you're not just going to film it and then move. You have to, first of all, you're going to do, let's say, four or five takes in that one position. You have to set up, reset the camera, reset lights and everything. This is, you know, hours just to get a few minutes sometimes, right? <clears throat> and there's a big uh, learning curve of, of understanding that um, this scene, which is, is just a couple minutes long, when it's expanded out into all these different shots, uh, it just requires so many more resources than if it was just put on a stage for those few minutes. I think there's one thing that our audience will get from this and they'll notice that this is not us filming people singing. This is not like filming an opera that's happening as it would in three dimensions. Yeah, we did film um, both the Mr. Rogers operas and um, A Gathering of Sons, but that was on stage as it was staged with eight cameras. We, you know, we set up, they already had their blocking and whatever. We just rolled cameras and then mixed it. But, and Jim's going to be the one with Ian who are, who's working with Derek, this, the, basically the stage director to, to make this work. And, and because this is being told more as a storyline, more as a, because there are different, settings for all the action um and i mean you can talk a little bit about the site too because we've chosen carry furnace and the pump house these industrial you know kind of challenging sites for these singers to be in uh, when they're accustomed to kind of the safety of a stage we're hauling them out to these post-industrial sites and placing them among all this stuff but yeah no doubt i think we there's some challenges with those locations um and challenges uh with the heat it's going to be a difficult time of year to be shooting outside or shooting in some of the locations we've we've chosen but uh, uh ultimately that's just pre-production that's planning and, and being ready for those situations speaking of pre-production and planning i know that you all have been out to the carry furnace site and the pump house and the carnegie carnegie and uh some of these places because you need to see 
yourself what shots are going to be best. Isn't that correct, Jim? Yeah, I, I, fundamentally, I think for me at, at this point, it's sort of a nuts and bolts kind of thing. So we're looking in broad brushstrokes at these locations to say, well, what are the particular challenges at each location? You know, what's uh, what's available light that we're going to use and how do we supplement that available light? Or do we block this and, and light from scratch in some location? So, I mean, these are all the kind of essential elements that you look at when you're trying to define what's that lighting budget going to be? What's that, that shooting budget going to be? Uh-huh. Right. I had, Lindsay had showed, uh, had shown me some of the, the shots that, that you had, I don't even know what really this, the correct word that you had taken from one of the, the place or several of the places mm-hmm. out at uh, a carry furnace and what you thought that it would look like when it was filmed it was fantastic. It was fascinating, that look of what the viewer will see. Yeah, it's such a rich location. I think it's uh, going to offer us a, a, a lot of challenges, but I think a, a lot of rewards, too. There's just so much to see there. What, but he's also looking at, just, just as an aside, you know, when he's doing that, he's thinking of what lens are you going to use. It's not like going out with your cell phone, even even the ones that have multiple lenses, um, this is a whole different world of focal length and light and and look, you know. So he's also looking at it in terms of what what lenses we're going to bring to play, because that's the other thing is, you know, you're not just locking something down and people are acting. It's it's different for every scene. Yeah, and even even just that sort of uh, control of focus, I think, which is maybe the most important piece here when we talk about, for instance, building this uh, sort of village of tents behind us. You know, where we think in terms of what is, what's our foreground, what's our middle ground, what's our background. Is it are we going to control focus enough so that that background could be uh, what you know pop up cardboard looking pieces that mimic our foreground? How do we begin to save money or think about how we build items out like that as well? So that's some of the things we were considering. We looked the widest shot certainly of of a of, a, of our uh, tent city. Now the carry furnace is um, certainly a big part of Pittsburgh's industrial past. But when you, when you were doing Lindsay and, uh, and Marianne and Derek and everyone who was doing the site visit, what made you finally really decide on carry furnace as being the right place for this film? Well, I'd love for Derek to respond to that because Derek, our directors from Texas, so he, and he wasn't even alive, nor was Lindsay, nor was Ian at the time that those mills were going full hog. I remember Carrie Furness when it was live. That's how old I am. But <laughs> yeah, to bring him from Texas to this place and he's just walking around, actually the three of you were just going, what the heck is this? It was truly like, I've never, I'm from Michigan where things are flat and you know, there's nothing like that there. Um, that I can think of and to go and see this incredible thing that they're like, Oh yeah, this is like a quarter of what it was. And you're like, that's a quarter, a quarter of that site, that site. And, and there down were, that entire river. When so. you just start to think about the, the massive, uh, it, it's truly breathtaking. And then at the pump house where you learn the history of what happened at the pump house in the battle of Homestead, there's just so much that 
Yeah. So there's, much history in these places. There's it's some incredible. vibes there too. There's a lot mm-hmm. of um, spirit. You talked about Mark Rylance. He visited those places and others, and he said, "Boy, I stirred up some ghosts." <laughs> um, and they're and they're out there. But it is and texturally. So it was like, all right, we don't need a lot of props because man, it's here. You know, and you have you know you have very different. There's rust and there's graffiti and there's brick and there's you know these weird big massive pieces of metal sculpture that just are sitting there from leftover from when they shut everything down. It's amazing. There's also sort of this quality to it. You know, obviously it's, it's years and ruins or whatever, but there's still the quality that people just put down their tools and walked away there, which is so unusual. You know what I mean? When you, I mean, literally it just has this sort of, uh, yeah, I just saw today when we were out there, two footprints in the, in the, in the remaining sort of whatever that the, the end of the last poke hole when they, poured all the final metal out and there were just two little boot prints there. It was like, wow. Mm -hmm. Jim, I have a question for you. The, um, when you have a place like the carry furnace that has that grand size and, and scope, and then you have to, um, capture like an intimate moment in such a grand scale. What do you find is, uh, what's the greatest challenge of, of like humanizing such a gigantic space? That's an excellent question. Um, it's funny because I think when we went to our site server, they initially were really just looking at this, at the textures. You know, what are what are the visual textures we see behind us? Um, uh, some of the photos we took um, start to, I think, look at how we begin to bring people together in a more intimate way. What, what we intend to do, I think, is just to control our focus to sort of find those moments where we can um, play with pieces of foreground. So we move through a little bit of foreground to reveal somebody to, to, to bring two people together. That's some of the notions of how we're going to try and at least to make it a more intimate location. Interesting. Thank you. Well, and Ian can also maybe talk about there, there are some interesting spaces that the, the office room with the cutout doors. So. Yeah. I mean, these, there's such rich textures and shapes and everything there, <clears throat> but I think um, there's two kind of, elements we can play with which is first the staging of it with um how these characters can interact it can be this incredibly grand thing right but if they're interacting with it the right way and you know emoting well and everything our focus is going to be on them and of course the other part is the cinematography which jim was just talking about of of how how to guide that focus for the audience but you know just because it's might draw the audience's attention i think you know what derek's going to be doing and how we're going to stage it they're going to be using it to further that emotional journey for the characters. And plus to add you with film versus stage, you aren't stuck with the operatic in love pose that you, we all know, which is, you know, the tenor has his arms around the soprano and they're both facing out towards the audience. And that is what you show to show they're in love. And I'm using finger quotes here. Um, I realize I'm very, hands on person. Um, but that is what you see in opera to portray intimacy and relationships and love. There is, there is a set kind of thing for that because of the constrictions of being on stage and singing. We don't have that here. We have so much more we can do. Uh, you know, a caress of hands will mean so much more and, getting to see these smaller moments between two characters that you don't get to see on stage, which is really incredible, opens up a whole new world. Of course, that intimacy, you know, from 
a 2,800-seat uh, theater, we don't see that intimacy where you can zoom in right on somebody's hand or some sort of intimate moment. Um, and there are quite oh, a number. Oh, this opera gets very intimate <laughs> and erotic. And, yes. Yeah, it and, yes. And so that's another thing that, you know, we have to be sensitive. And we have an intimacy coach um, because here again, now you've got two people and an entire crew and grips and lights and everything on top of them. And, and they have to have this connection. They have to, you know, kind of tune all that out and, and lip sync to their own tracks and be, you know, engaged in this intimate action. So it's going to be a challenge for them too, but you know, creating their own heat for the furnace. That's for sure. Uh, oh <laughs> boy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but in that intimacy, um, how can you, as a film, a cameraman, Ian, same thing, how can you make the artist feel comfortable too? Well, that's an excellent question. Um, I mean, I think it just comes down to preparation. It comes down to creating that uh, relationship through rehearsal and through looking at the scene. I mean, I'm really fundamental to to the dialogues that Derek and I have had so far were this sort of let's build this visual language. Let's make sure that we understand things. He's given us some examples of works that he has liked uh, as examples. So through that, uh, you know, odd groups of things, uh, movies, movie Titus, for for example, right? Um, excellent visuals, a lot of things that you can carry directly into our piece, but also some other commercial spots that showed certainly a different level of um, intimacy and, and connection. I mean, that's the kind of thing that Derek and I can have a dialogue about quickly. I mean, ultimately he'll be communicating with the actors about this, but we can talk about what expectations are as we get there. Hey, here's where we'd like to get with these shots. We are going to be in, in their space, their physical space a little for some of these moments. So let's prepare them and make sure that they understand um, how important it is to, uh, to maintain that sense of this moment and that, that sense of, uh, of being real and being honest with that. It's also about personality, though, and part of the mm -hmm. reason Jim and I have worked together in the past, we won't say how distant past, but, uh, and the people, and somehow the people that you, and it kind of comes from the top down, but the people who've been assembled for this project, including the artists, some of whom I know, but you want a technical crew, particularly a director of photography, who is not really, who's not there. It's not about, I've worked with cameramen when, where the ego is theirs, and I'm the cameraman, and you're, so if, if, if Jim and Ian kind of disappear and, and are in service of the final product and the performance while doing their technical duty, um, that, that's, that's a real rare gem. And it's, it's why, you know, you, you kind of get to where you enjoy working with people like that because you know they're going to, you know, they're not going to create a whole other ego energy weird thing that you don't need when you have so many other, you know, plates in the air. Jim can speak to this. There's also a flow that happens on a film slash TV set, um, which if you want to speak to that, people have very specific roles and you don't step out of them. Absolutely true. Uh, honestly, for me, I think really, um, I, I voice this, I think individually to some people here, but you know, my, my goal is to really help Derek to find his vision. I know uh, that in some respects, this is new to him as well. He's got more of that, uh, of a theater cadence and, uh, and 
but I, I really do look forward to not saying no to being able to try and pull together whatever, uh, whatever he comes up with and to try and find ways to, let's just say, find uh, practical solutions to maybe impact impractical problems. That we, the hope. Right. Right. Do you know, we talked just a, a little bit about the elements that is a humongous factor when it is in the dead of uh, July. And what are we going to do about the makeup and, you know, those kinds of things that... Um, now, I'm coming as a big-time novice here. Uh, when you're out in the heat like that, how do you film that? I mean, people are perspiring. Boom. That's the way it's going to be. Are they constantly patting them down? Well, one of the first things we talked about was really having a like, kind of a, a boot camp uh, training in the beginning because people have to take care of themselves in that kind of heat. No it's doubt. brutal. Yes. And you don't even know. And you have to hydrate and you have to get into shade when you can. And yes, they'll be cool. Ice, you know, putting them on your pulse points. And especially they're going to be wearing costumes. They're going to have wigs. It's dirty out there and it's hot. And we're going to have, you know, a cooling, we'll have cooling tents. We'll have a, hopefully an RV that's actually air conditioned where people can really take a break because I've been on shoots where people have just succumbed to the heat. You don't even know it's coming and all of a sudden they're gone. Um, so we have to be very careful of the talent of the crew because in some ways the crew's working even harder moving stuff around and they're standing out there, you know, unless somebody's holding a little umbrella over their head, they're out there in the open. You know, they don't take a break like the actors and singers. So and not to mention the the talent and the, the artists, they're coming from the opera world of three hour calls. And I know that was something with Cendrillon. We, we spent a whole month just prepping them for like, these are 12, this is going to be a 12 hour day. We will provide coffee. We will provide food, but you have to be prepared that from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m., you are there. And that's something just entirely different that opera singers don't understand. They're like, my call ends in three hours. Maybe I'll do another one with an hour and a half break. But they're not used to a tw being engaged 12 hours a day. I was just going to say an hour least, of singing and rehearsing break. <laughs> but at least they're not really singing. Not mm -hmm. really. So that's that is the benefit. And the other thing that will expedite our work is we don't have to worry about sound because we're playing everything back so when the train comes by in the background you don't have to shut down for <laughs> 10 minutes while it goes by so absolutely oh my that's goodness a benefit ian i wanted to ask you um getting to work with somebody like jim ledoux must be like for me getting to work with when i was younger working with marilyn horn it must be just a uh, almost like a dream for you. Yeah, I mean, um, <clears throat> this is my own background. Is is as I've I've told them is is more in editing and uh, camera work is is something that's kind of um, I've been developing this past year a lot. And so this is going to be you know it, it like you said it's just a great opportunity and it's just a a time when I'm just looking to absorb all the knowledge I can and uh, and hopefully just add a, a new skill set to the resume. <laughs> That's just awesome. I, I will say that the best uh, shooters come from an editing background so that, you know, they're, what they're doing is they're telling that story in their head and they understand. I think that there are going to be many, many occasions when we turn to Ian during the shoot to say, do you have what you need? And he'll be able to run those shots and say, yeah, you know, we'll, we'll get in time crunches. I'm sure of it. But 
there'll be those moments when he can say, well, you know, if we were just to pick up these couple of quick close-ups, I think I have what I need and we'll move forward from that. That is awesome. And I'm sure, Jim, it's, it's wonderful. Uh, Ian brings his own set of skills. Uh, also, we have seen that. We, we, have, we have it. Uh, in our Cendrillon and uh, well, Ian some of is the other- amazing. I will say, in my since I'm so old, um, it, it, you can't teach some of the stuff that Ian knows how to do. It, you know, honestly, it is there kind of innately. And he blew me away on the uh, well, both on the things he did with your concert, and then as we did the Oh Wow edits, final yes. uh, assemblies. Um, and he's also good at graphics. So it's like, yeah, we want this to look like Handmaid's Tale, and like, bam, he had the, you know, he had the right font, he had the right colors. It's just. So that's that's a pretty remarkable thing. It it makes me feel good that there's another generation that's when <laughs> as I fade into the you know, twilight of my mediocre career. Don't think you're fading, Lynn. Will come and take over. Don't think you're fading, Lynn, because I think this company is sort of maybe going in a different direction. So just stay on board. Well, <laughs> festival opera. I mean, doing this, you guys are so far ahead of the curve, honestly. Um, because there is this element's not going to go away. No. It's Absolutely. One of, and one of the things that's really important that we don't want our audience to feel like, you know, are we never going to see an opera on stage again? It's like, no, you will. But this is now part of the menu. Absolutely. And what is really important to realize is that this is still storytelling. And, and like deep down, right, you know, in the core of opera is, is a story. And it's sung and we're never going to lose that because that's what opera is all about. But being able to, um, to transfer in a really critically responsible way, you know, you could say, um, using film as a medium to reach even more people who may not have ever seen a live opera before. I mean, this is a really exciting prospect because we're, we are combining these art forms, uh, you know, you know, into, something brand new. I mean, this is like, as we said earlier, we're not filming an opera. We're, we're making a film that happens to be a really good opera. It's all very exciting just to, you know, to think about um, the final product, but the process is where all of us are learning about each other and about how this piece will change our industry. That is exactly right. Uh, Chris and this company You know, we are only how many? Eight of us? Yeah. To be able to shift and constantly um, be able to do these kinds of things, being very innovative, um, that says a lot for the actual staff that's here. Um, I wanted to say just a little while before when we were talking about Ian – Ian is so innate and he comes from a music background also, which I had no idea until we did our Christmas Yule log and he he wanted to sing. And I said, you sing? And now it makes all, it made all sense to me. But he has that um, innate way about him as an artist that doing this, this kind of filming, it goes hand in hand. And then, of course, we have Lindsay you know, who has so many wonderful ideas and the young, they are, they, they are the up and coming and they, they never say no. They just keep putting it out and the ideas that Lindsay has and she puts it all together. And I know she's working, you know, 
totally hand a mano a mano with all of you uh, to keep things in order. The organization of this film is just incredible. As we've said before, Lindsay is a force. You are. and But your musical background also has helped us tremendously because of your your vision of how something sh should go, you know, the look of something, or uh, maybe the sound of it. Well, she understands this libretto too. And you sang, uh, what, which, uh, did you do? Uh, the Lysias? Act Two Aria. Yeah, the yeah. Act Two oh, Aria. So, um, so she understands the musical slash story part of it, which is phenomenally helpful. Right. Um, because again, you know, how much, so, so you've got the, the libretto, but how many beats, measures of music do you have to get you from this scene to that? And, and, and that has to translate onto film. It's one thing if you're on stage and you can kind of kill that time with a gesture, but if you're actually doing something, you know, filmically, what happens in those eight measures or whatever, you know? Exactly. Honestly, the music is what's going to help Ian to edit and make it whole, but you have to come back to your singing background and realize that the music drives the action. I was going to say this opera is very um, filmic because, and it, and it moves from to completely different places. You know, it, it's, it, well, I shouldn't give anything away, but it starts sort of in one place and then it moves ethereally into another place. And then it comes into the real world and it does that musically. So it almost suggested these, these filmic elements anyway. I will say too, one of the most compelling things for me is, I mean, it's uh, when you think about traditional filmmaking, really, you know, the, the score comes last. So it's really, you know, the, the editor has gone through, he might be going with a click track, but largely, you know, the editor is setting this pace of images and then the orchestra is watching and scoring live. And, and this is just, uh, you know, the opposite approach. We're really looking at how the music drives the pacing of this piece and then looking at every opportunity within there to say, well, our visuals need to find that same sense of urgency or that maybe languid feel that we'll have in some of these scenes as well. Yeah, and one of the interesting things we were talking about when we were planning, when are we going to record the orchestra? And how, you know, should we should we have a rough edit for them? And ultimately decided, actually, we want to record the orchestra and have everything together and then edit to that. <clears throat> because it goes back to, you know, the fact that this isn't just a movie, this isn't, this is a hybrid of an opera and a film, and that the music does need to inform these different, uh, you know, the, the orchestra will inform the actor's performance, but it should also then be informing, you know, the camera movements and the editing. And so that was a really important choice. And, and I'm looking forward to, to seeing how that, that helps in the editing process. That's something I also wanted to touch base on because you get everything filmed and then there is that process long process of editing it. Um, Ian, you want to talk a little bit about that? That's a humongous uh, process. Yeah. That <laughs> I mean, that's just what it is. Um, but, you know, it's it's kind of methodical in a way of just, all right, sitting down and start, you know, start this scene and everything like that. And I don't know, it's just, you just kind of have to go through it. And like a film day, uh, you kind of just have to sit down for a long time and kind of live in that world. It's not the kind of thing where you can do, Oh, I'll do a few minutes and I'll take a break or something. It's, you know, you kind of have to lock in. Um, and just for me, it'll be really helpful that I will have been behind the camera and on set. And so I'll have a lot more knowledge of, of what the best shots to use are and, and how these are kind of how the, the best way to, to cut them together. Um, 
but yeah, it's uh, it'll be a, a really fun process. <laughs> so you edit everything and you put all those shots together and then you put the the voices on top of that. Is that correct? Well, <clears throat> for, so we'll, well, the way that we'll be filming it is that they'll be listening to playback of their recording. So they'll record first. Our sound engineer, Christian Chechko, will put together um, a rough kind of track that will then be played on set that they'll be lip syncing to. And initially, I'll be using that playback. I'll sync the the clips to that playback and edit from there. <clears throat> and then once we have the orchestra and everything on all the final mixes and all mastered, then we'll sync that final track to the playback tracks. Incredible process. Well, this process is uh, something that is truly new to Pittsburgh Festival Opera. And I, I can't tell you how really excited we are to have all of you on board such a wonderful uh, group of people with a bunch of experience um, and and to take us to this other world is truly exciting for us and I personally just want to thank each one of you um, because it is it's truly, truly exciting, and I don't think people have really a clue what they're going to see. I really, I don't. <laughs> but we, we are looking forward to the premiere of this, which will be October 31st, out at the Cary Furnaces, and we, we can't wait to see the, the final product Including of this us. and <laughs> celebrate in style, in person, in costume, October 31st, and with a red carpet event. So we have this um, uh, drop the needle kind of Uh-oh. thing. Oh God, I and I'm looking. Uh, you okay. will. Oh, you'll you know. Think? These are these are so easy. I, I came out doing two operas and two uh, Broadway shows. <laughs> and I came in and Ian said, Marianne, oh, I was hoping you would do a soundtrack movie. Duh. And I said, OK. So I, I chose four. Uh, I'm sure you'll know. Is this all open for them. all of us? Yes. To, to, to yes. better be because... Yes, you'll know. I'm in, oh, I'm in negative Ian, points right now. Ian just made me turn around, so I can't see the Yes, screen. Lindsay, you can't. Okay. You're a ringer, Lindsay, I think. Yeah, she'll know them. Oh. All right, first one. Here we go. Schindler's List. Schindler's List. <laughs> no, Philadelphia. <laughs> What is Philadelphia? Philadelphia the movie. is the, I, you know, I couldn't place, I could see the scene, but I couldn't place the damn movie. Yeah. It's when he's kind of in yes. his room mm-hmm. getting, yeah. yeah. Okay. Philadelphia, the so movie. So let me clarify. Are it we was, doing opera things no, from soundtracks? No, no, no. Because that's not the soundtrack. No, no. Really. Okay. But, well, no, but that was part of the soundtrack. Okay. It was a scene. A scene. Yeah, it was a scene. It was a scene. Absolutely. But not by the composer of the soundtrack. Well, but it was part no. of it. Okay. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Batting <laughs> zero. All right, here we go. Next one. Keep going. They'll get it eventually. It's just getting worse.
Arabia. Oh, <laughs> oh no. Gone with Gone the wind. I knew it was something epic, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Lynn gets it. I got it. But boy, everyone, that was the giveaway. That hook. We everyone got. at home is going, what is with these people? I had this 50 minutes ago. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Schindler's List. There, there, there we go. go. Oh, that was <laughs> Something Disney. <laughs> Wizard of Oz? It's really difficult for me not to cheat. I just want you all to know that. I'm like, don't, don't do it. Pirates of Penzance? That's there it is. I'm sorry, what was it? Pirates, Pirates of, of Penzance. Penzance. Well, no wonder I hadn't the clue. <laughs> I thought Lindsay would get I that. I thought Lindsay, the pirate queen, would get that. <laughs> I said if it was Pirates of the Caribbean, I would have gotten it. Oh, right. no. I can do a dissertation on why Pirates of the Caribbean at World's End is the best movie score ever. <laughs> ever. Oh my God. Oh my dissertation. Gosh. Well, we were almost pathetic, but. Well, <laughs> we've been really kind of pathetic on the opera ones, wow. too. So that's a three way tie. Wow. Yeah. Ian, pick a tiebreaker. Yeah, pick a tiebreaker. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead, Ian. I got this. All right, I won't look. This is for the tiebreaker. It's pretty easy, and I'm sure someone will get it. Jaws. I was going to say four. Star Wars. Nope. Something by Tim Burton. More than John Williams. But it's probably not that either. Ian's not giving it up. Easy? Psycho? And farther away. Farther away from Psycho? Like Mary Poppins far away from Psycho? <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's a movie I've never seen. Yeah. I would be very surprised if that's true. It's true. You can count on it. Out of Africa. <laughs> Africa. The first two guesses were the closest. Oh, Jaws. Jaws and Psycho? Not Psycho. Star Wars. E.T. E. Yep, there it is. And I've never seen E.T., but, I, How? but I have never seen E.T. So does that mean Lynn and I tied? We tied, oh even though gosh. I'd never seen the movie, so I win. That sounds good to me. I got Spielberg yeah. and was like, I was yeah. like, oh. No, that's pretty weird. Lynn, Jim, Lindsay, Ian. Thank you, thank you, thank you for this wonderful podcast. It has been really fascinating. It is a world that, uh, wow, it's totally different from my world, but it's fascinating to step into it and be a part of it. And I can't wait for our audience to uh, take that journey with us. It's going to be fantastic. Thank you all so very much for uh, this conversation today. Really, really great. Thanks. Unstaged, the podcast is produced by Natalie Bensavenga and is engineered and edited by Ian Kramen. For more episodes, information on the Pittsburgh Festival Opera's upcoming season, and access to digital content, visit pittsburghfestivalopera.org for more details.